Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. If you happen to have your Hope Church Plus app handy, you might want to turn and follow along with our follow-along notes. They are there and available for you uh, for our Monday, Monday, Thursday service. And uh, I have a slide up here to give us kind of a breakdown about what Monday means. As I mentioned uh, a few moments ago, it is, the word Monday comes from uh, the Latin, which means commandment, mandatum, something along those lines. Uh, and it stands for commandment. And the reason is, is that Jesus said, do this and remember me. Now, specifically, what we see with this whole idea about do this and remember me, we are drawn to Jesus' last supper. He actually was celebrating the Passover meal. And this doesn't always line up quite like this. Passover begins tomorrow in the Jewish faith. But what Passover was, was an intera- or is, it is an interactive meal that is the retelling of how God delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt into the promised land. And there's a very important thing that happens toward the beginning of the meal where the youngest person in attendance is supposed to ask this question. Why is tonight unlike any other? And that's what begins the process of telling the story about how God delivered his people, his chosen people, out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land through the Exodus experience. And so Jesus, knowing that this time was coming, he knew he wanted to celebrate the Passover with his disciples and with his friends, the people he did life with. And he set the plans in motion to prepare for the meal and to prepare for the gathering and uh, even to prepare for the space to do it. And so the disciples gathered in the upper room. Perhaps you've heard that phrase before, talk about the upper room. It was probably like a guest house type thing uh, in, in, a, in a house, a guest room in a house. And they gathered to have this holy meal to retell the story of God delivering the Israelites from slavery in Egypt into the promised land. This was a festive gathering. In fact, the closest thing to it that I can probably analogize this to is our own Thanksgiving gatherings. At our family Thanksgivings, we gather the fourth Thursday of November, and we, uh, we have the turkey, and we have the stuffing, and we have the pumpkin pie, and things like that. Uh, and there are certain traditions and rituals, and they may differ from family to family, but the reality is, is that we all, for the most part, do the Thanksgiving traditional meal as a way to remember how it is that uh, our country and the United States came to be from that very first Thanksgiving with the pilgrims and the Native Americans, etc., etc., etc. And so that's kind of the same type of event, kind of mindset I want you to think about. It was most likely a very festive, family-oriented, fun time. 
It was a holiday meal. They were gathering. They were celebrating. People from all over the Jewish nation were coming into Jerusalem to celebrate and to make their sacrifices and to be a part of the energy and the vibe of this holy, holy moment. But Jesus knew in here and in here, pointing to the head and to the heart, Jesus knew that this was indeed a night unlike any other. He knew that the Passover lamb, so to speak, wasn't just an unblemished little sheep, but it was the lamb of God. And he knew it was him. And it was in that meal where he transformed the meaning of the celebration of the Passover meal from telling the story of God delivering his people from slavery in Egypt into God's deliverance of his people from slavery to sin and death. It was in sharing the bread, which we'll do in a little bit. Jesus said, this bread now represents my body. And in passing the cup, he said, this cup now represents my blood. And all of it, all of it, is to point to you that there is a new promise of salvation that comes to you through the forgiveness of sins. It's not based on the stuff that you do, you can do, but it's what God, at that point, is doing. And for us, these couple millennia later, what God has already done and accomplished. Part of that meal, before they started with all the festivities, we read that Jesus took off his outer garment and he, he put a towel, wrapped a towel around his waist, and he went and he, he washed the disciples' feet. That's the other part that we see with this. I kind of got it out of order, but hey, work with me, right? So Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Now, this was a role that was supposed to be for the least of the least, like the least of the servants to come and do and perform to wash their feet. Their feet were dirty. They didn't have the Silver Comet Trail or Dallas Highway. They all walked on dirt roads. And they wore very, by our standards, rudimentary sandals. I can remember uh, one time I thought it would be a really good idea to mow the grass wearing Crocs. And I took off my shoes and it looked like I had polka dotted feet, feet, right? So they had very dirty feet, right? And so the job, the task of washing the feet of the disciples was a very lowly menial one. But it was Jesus. The hands that soon would take the nails, the same hands that helped shape and mold creation into place, were the hands that cradled the disciples' feet and washed them with water. Of course, some of the disciples were aghast that Jesus hosting the meal would be relegated to the least of the least servants' role. He said, you don't necessarily understand what this is about now, but soon you will. And as the Gospel of John tells us, Jesus told the disciples, I am setting for you an example that to be the greatest means that you become a servant to all. Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, all 12 of them, meaning Peter, who in a few hours would call down curses to say, I don't know the blankety-blank man. And Judas, who had already taken money to betray Jesus, he washed their feet. And so, friends, however it is that you find yourself here this evening, in the worship space, in your home, or maybe you're experiencing this at a separate time, you may think that 
there's no way Jesus could love or forgive you for the things that you've done. The dirt that you bring with you on your feet or in your soul or in any other part of your life. Let me tell you to banish those thoughts right now. Because Jesus washed the feet and served the very men who did betray him, had already betrayed him, were betraying him and would betray them. The dirt on their feet, but also the dirt in their souls. Jesus washed them all. And he said, I am setting for you an example that the greatest among you will be a servant. A servant to all. So when we hear Jesus say, do this and remember me, I'm getting chills. I'm not going to break into my Jesus jig. I don't think it's appropriate for Monday, Thursday, but I'm getting chills thinking about it. He's talking about when you serve, serve in my name. When you share in the meal, share it in my name. And as you do, remember the hands that carved out the oceans, the hands that took the nails are the same hands that cradle your feet and wash the yuck from your life, inside and out. Hallelujah. Hosanna. Dear Lord, save us now. Let's turn our attention to our scripture lesson, which comes from the book of Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verses 16 through 25, using the English Standard Version, version this evening, and the words, of course, will be on the screen. Uh, we're going to pick up with this idea of sacrifice. I've mentioned it uh, kind of in passing about how uh, people from all over the Jewish world were coming into Jerusalem to make their sacrifices and celebrate the Passover. So this gives us the context that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. This is after Christ's resurrection even. So this is post-Easter. Uh, but what we see here is something that hopefully should motivate and inspire us to get our lives right, to allow our lives to be cradled in the hands of Christ that wash the muck from us uh, inside and out. So this is what we see from the book of Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verses 16 through 25. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. And remember, covenant means promise. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering of sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's give thanks to God. Amen. Amen. Now, if that very last line, so that day drawing here, that wasn't a typo, it's capitalized because we're talking about the day of Christ's return. And so what we essentially are seeing here, and this is a great time to open up your app if you haven't yet already, is that the very first point is that you have complete forgiveness thanks to the blood of Jesus. You have complete forgiveness thanks to the blood of Jesus. 
Now, what we see at the beginning of this in verse 16 is that the covenant, this promise that God is making now with, with his people after those days, comes down to the fact that you are now saved through the forgiveness of sin. That is very, very different from those who had gathered in Jerusalem that Passover. They were bringing their sacrifices. They were bringing their animals to slaughter on the altar. They were performing their sacrifice, their rituals for God. Now, some of it was also that was what provided the meat that they had for their meal, but it was a religious process. And so what we see is that the promise means that that type of a sacrifice system is no longer necessary because Christ's sacrifice on the cross is a once and for all sacrifice. Have you ever wondered why we don't stand out here in the traffic circle and I have you bring your, your pigeons and your lambs and your other animals for me to... Yeah. I would probably do something else. You know, that's not my gig. That's because the sacrifice has been done. The blood that was shed by Christ... The sacrificial lamb was a once and for all sacrifice. Now some ask, why, why blood? Why something so gory? We've talked a good bit during this Lenten season about the fall of grace that Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden and how their original sin was disobedience. One of the things I haven't necessarily mentioned so much with a, to put a fine point on it because I want to save it for tonight was that when they found the knowledge of good and evil, they recognized something about their current state of being. You remember what it was? They were naked. That's right. Tammy said in front. Somebody from Michigan said they're naked. So that's the real deal right there. They were naked. That's right. She learned it from David, yeah. Now that, that I believe. What did God do? You remember what God did after... He clothed them. He clothed them by taking skins from animals, his precious creation, and he clothed them. From the time of Adam and Eve's disobedience, the idea that blood must be shed to cover our sins was put in motion. And I've said several times throughout the series, right, that what happened there was that God made a plan, a plan that would be involving his very own son, to come and to crush the head of the serpent. To put that disobedience into motion. Jesus' sacrifice was that once and for all, once and forever, sacrifice to cover us for our sins. And so you have a complete forgiveness thanks to the blood of Jesus. Isn't that inspiring? I mean, I tell you what, it, it, it feels kind of... It feels harsh sometimes, but we whitewash our religion so much, uh, we diminish our sin so greatly that it is a cost of blood when we do so, when we disobey God. We have complete forgiveness thanks to the blood of Jesus. What we see next on the next screen is that God forgets your sin. That's one of those things that almost falls in the category of you know, is there anything that God can't do, right? Like, can God make a rock too big to lift, right? Kind of one of those conundrums. Can God forget your sin? The scripture tells us yes. So often in our lives, when we encounter people, and we bump into each other, we do that all the time, right? We'll say, oh, forgive and forget, right? But do we really forget? No, of course not. Well, one of the reasons is there's a difference between forgiveness and trust, we can forgive someone, but it can take time to rebuild trust. 
But God has the capacity and God has the ability and God has the power to forget your sins. As I mentioned on Sunday, God removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. God has the ability, the capacity, and the power to forget your sins once you are cleansed of them, once you are forgiven of them. Friends, that is inspiring. Again, I'm going to do my Jesus jig, but I'm not going to do it for Monday Thursday. God forgets your sin. And so we see in that next point on the slide is that we, we no longer have any need to make more sin offerings or sacrifices. Now our offerings go to further the good news of God in Christ. This is why we give in our worship services. One of the many reasons. But the offerings, the sacrifices that we make are not of sheep and of pigeons and of doves and things like that anymore. Our offerings, our sacrifices are our precious financial resources. And we give those to God, not necessarily the forgiveness of sins, but we give those to God as a way to participate in the redemptive work of salvation by taking and carrying the good news throughout our church, our community, and creation. Right? So this is one of the reasons giving is so important while we have to be generous in our lives because God has generously forgotten our sins. Do you have any sin in your life that you're grateful God's forgotten? Yeah, me too. Some say no in the back, probably younger. That's fine. I'll give it to them. We'll ask them that question again in 20 years. But friends, this is good news that we don't have to bring these little critters to worship anymore. To atone for our sins. Our sin has been atoned for. But God still wants us to be generous. God still wants us to give. So the giving that we do now goes to help further the good news of Christ in the world. And for that, we can be thankful. The second big point is that God is writing his law on your heart and in your mind. God is writing his law in your heart and in his mind. In our Promises series, that you go back into Lent, way last week, you know, but, uh, we talked about how uh, God has a plan to prosper you. And we use that very famous Bible verse out of Jeremiah that talks about how I have plans for you, hope and a pro- hope and a future, and for you to prosper. Uh, in Jeremiah there, in that same section, God goes on to talk about how the time was going to come when he is going to write his law on your heart and in your mind. He's going to write his law on your heart and in your mind. What is his law? The first thing you'll see on the next slide. The, the law is the law of love. Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment. I want you to love one another, for love has no greater in any individual than for someone to lay down their life for their friends. That's the law that he gave us to live into. This law is broken down into the law of grace and mercy. Really quickly, grace is that law, oh, I'm sorry, grace is that love of God that he gives us unconditionally, not anything that we could ever earn or deserve. He gives us that grace because he is a loving and a compassionate God and because his wrath has been fulfilled. And mercy, the other side of that coin, so to speak, is God withholds from us the punishment that we do deserve. And so the law of love is also now the law of grace and mercy. As we worked through our Promises message series, we talked about how God is always going to love us. And we used 1 Corinthians 13, 13. It talked about faith and hope and love. Abide these three because the greatest of these is love. And to recap that really quickly, we remember that faith is our hope and our... I mean, not, our faith is our belief in God. Our hope is in that God's way wins. And love is what activates and motivates us to live into that faith and hope. And so when we do so, then we have God's unmerited grace and his favor, his unconditional love. And he also gives us his mercy. So God's grace is the love that he gives us that we don't deserve. 
and his mercy is the love that God gives that withholds from us the punishment that we do. And this is the law of grace and mercy and love. And again, it comes to us through salvation, through the forgiveness of sins. This is what God is writing on your heart and in your mind. I had a conversation the other day with someone who was struggling and wrestling with the whole idea of, of coming to grips with faith. I mean, faith is there, and it's almost indescribable. Have you ever been to a point or been at a point like that in your life where that faith is there, you just can't understand it, you can't describe it, but you know that it's there? It's kind of like that old song from the 80s. I got this feeling somebody's watching me. Not exactly creepy like that, but it's like I know someone else is there. I know, I know that there is, there's something else to this. And it's live, learning to live into it and to embrace the mysterious ways of God and to listen to God. All of this is a mystery from the gore and the horror of it to the hope that emerges as a result of it as well. God forgives you because he loves you and he wants to have eternity with you. He would rather the thought of taking the nails than the thought of an eternity without you in it. That's how much God loves you. And so because God loves you, God wants you to come to him confidently. To come to God confidently. Often we come to God timidly, don't we? feeling like there's no way that we deserve God's favor or God's forgiveness. If there's anything that we've seen so far is we don't deserve it. But it's not based on how much we deserve it. It's how much God's given and done for us. This is what that forgiveness means, that you can come to God confidently. What we see through the scripture is we see that barriers are removed. I love how in Matthew in particular, it was the Gospel of Matthew when we see about barriers being removed. I think that's on our next slide. Is when Jesus died, there was a curtain in the temple that separated the innermost part, which was known as the Holy of Holies. And that is where the, the Ark of the Covenant, what Indiana Jones was looking for, right? That's where the Ark was. And it was separated by this curtain that only the high priest could go into like once a year. And when Jesus died, that curtain was ripped. But it was ripped from the top to the bottom. As though God is up there separating and removing the barrier from him to us for that which removes us. The God himself removed the barriers that were caused and created by our sin and by our disobedience. And so now we can confidently come to God through Jesus. And I put John 14, 6 in there parenthetically. You remember what John 14, 6 says? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Some feel that's very exclusive, right? Well, it's really the most inclusive statement that anyone's ever made. All people, regardless of where you are, what you've been through, what you've done, what you've gone through, everyone, everyone, everyone is welcome to come to God and has complete access to God through the blood of Jesus. That's the most inclusive thing anything, anywhere, right? Think about all the things that you've done, all the sins that you've committed, and all those are the ones done by the people next to you, whatever, right? And to think that every single one of us, bar none, regardless of what's in our past, have the same access to God thanks to the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the most inclusive thing I could think about. Again, it's not about what we have to do for God. It's what God has already done for us. And so with that knowledge, we can confess our hope. That we have hope that despite and in spite of all the junk and mess in our lives, we have the same 
access to God as any other person has ever lived. The same. The absolute same. And you might be sitting there, bless you, and thinking, well, you know, Pastor Mark, you don't know what I've done. You're right, I probably don't. But I don't need to know. With our forgiveness in God, God's forgotten your sins. And he's granted you the exact same access that I have or that the Pope has or Mother Teresa. The exact same access. That, I hope, is great hope for you. And so the responsibility that we find in this is that we've got to keep coming together on purpose. It's a play on words. We've got to keep coming together on purpose with intentionality. That there's a reason we do what it is that we do. There's a reason that we come together and we sing our hearts out. There's a reason we come and we listen to this peculiar fellow talk and teach about the Bible and how it applies to our lives today. There's a reason that we take our hard-earned resources and to give them back into the church so the church can be at work and helping to make sure that the good news of Jesus is made known here in our congregation, in our community, and throughout all creation. There's a purpose that we do these things. And we must, we must keep doing these things on purpose. I am someone who, I'm a big history buff, right? And political science nerd. Those, I've always loved these things. And I've been really, someone said, you don't have to qualify nerd, you just leave it there, right? But anyway, um, I don't think I actually heard that, but uh, maybe I was in, I was putting that out there. But anyway, uh, I've really been paying a lot of attention to what's been going on in Ukraine and thinking about the horrors that are happening there, but also, too, how some of the horrors are because of what's known as mission creep, right? Some of our guys in the military, ladies in the military, can talk about mission creep, and that's what happens when things begin to, to kind of go a little haywire, and sometimes we act out. We don't always do things on purpose. So I want us to review really quickly what the purpose of the church is. What the purpose of the church is. Now, of course, it is to glorify God. It is to join Jesus in his redemptive work to come and to seek and to save the lost. This is the purpose of the church. And the purpose of the church is lived out in these four ways. The first is to worship. What we are doing here, what we do uh, every Sunday morning, right? We worship God. We sing our praises. We listen and we learn to the message and we ask the Holy Spirit to come and awaken us to what's happening in our lives and our lives in the world and the power of the Spirit amongst us. We are called, and we are called to give of our resources, right, to help promote the work of the church. And that mission is seeking to save the lost. We're called to fellowship, to gather together, to have fun in God's household. I, I say it occasionally, but I think one of the th sounds that brings the most joy to the heart of God is to hear his children having fun in his house. I think about how much joy my mom has when all of our families gather together and the kids and the grandkids are playing and picking at each other and, you know, all the other stuff. Just the, the fun and frivolity of having all the family together. Imagine how that must make God's heart swell to look down and, look, and to see his children having fun in his house. Friends, we're going to have fun in this place on Saturday afternoon. Rain or shine, don't forget. It's all about coming together on purpose. But it can't just be about what we do in these four walls. It's got to be about what we have in these walls that fill us and nourish us to propel us out into the world. That's where outreach comes in. 
Outreach can be broken down two different categories, service, you know, like our mission projects, our hands of hope. Uh, you, hopefully you saw the Easter baskets that are going to be delivered on Saturday morning uh, to the at-risk families and children uh, that we've been collecting and preparing these baskets for. We're going to be doing those types of service things. But it's also about evangelism, which is about sharing the good news, sharing what it is that Jesus has done for us. So often we think that it takes a, a master's degree and the ability to know how many Ks are in the book of a back book. I don't know, right? I don't have to spell those things anymore. Google does it for me. But the reality is, is that we just share what it is that Jesus has done for us. And every single person has a story. And here's a truism for you. That when your story is given to God and God redeems it, it's no longer yours. It's God's story. God's story has to be proclaimed. And so tell your story. The stuff that makes you look great and stuff that doesn't, right? Because it's God's story. And our own individual, unique experiences can help someone hear that God has hope for them too. And of course, the fourth part is to study, to learn the scriptures. We do this in worship, but we also do it in, in small groups and things like that. This is one of those areas that's been uh, difficult for the church. I don't mean just Hope Church, the, hope, the church in general uh, because of COVID. Um, but we have ways that we can study the scriptures. And if you're looking for more tools, uh, we have our Hope Church Plus website uh, on, the, on the church website, on the app. Ways that you can dig in and, and get deeper into the scripture and into the, into the study. But these are the ideas about what it means to come together on purpose. But the key point of that is what? To come together. To come together. John Wesley, who was the founder of our Methodist movement, said that Christianity is a social religion. To make it solitary is to kill it. That's a sharp statement, isn't it? To think that we can do this faith life by ourselves on our own is to kill it. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to eternal life. I've got a yearning and a burning for it already. And I know that this happens when we do life together. When we worship together. Hearing y'all sing good grace at the beginning and thief. Oh, beautiful. We fellowship together. We hunt Easter eggs. We have snack activities. And just enjoy being together. The laughter the fun, critically important. The servant element, which takes so many of us out of our comfort zones. Let's get a little dirt under the fingernails. And like Christ, allows our hands to cradle the stories of people's lives who are full of dirt inside and out. Because there's hope for you. And how do we know there's hope? Because we study the scriptures. Because we know God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have life everlasting. And the second part of that is that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But what? That the world might be saved through him. We do that together. The same hands that took the nails are the same hands that carved out the ocean and the same hands that cradled the feet of the disciples with all of the dirt in their lives 
inside and out. And he said, I'm giving you an example of how to live and how to use your lives for my glory. You may not understand it now, but I want you to keep doing it because the time will come when you do. So do this and remember me. And that's why we're here tonight. On that night when the Lord Jesus was betrayed, as I mentioned, he was celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. He took a loaf of bread, and as part of the Passover story and event, they were told not to use any leaven or yeast in their bread because there would not be time for it to rise. And so we have a version of our unleavened bread here this evening. And the Lord Jesus lifted that loaf, and in giving thanks to God, and no doubt confusing the disciples who thought they were gathering for just another Jewish Thanksgiving meal. He said, take and eat, for this is my body that is given for you. As you eat, remember. And in passing the cup, the Lord Jesus lifted it high, and he blessed it, and he gave thanks to God. And then he passed it to his disciples. He said, take and drink from this, all of you. The one who has already betrayed me. The one who will deny me. And the one who will be with me and my mama until I breathe my last breath. Take and drink and remember. So, for we as often as we eat from the loaf and we drink from the cup, we proclaim the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus until he comes again, remembering him and sharing and in service. Pray with me, please. Living and loving God, I thank you for today, this Monday, Thursday, where we remember your commandment to remember you in the way that we share our meals and doing life and life with each other and you on purpose. In spite of the messes that we make, the messes in which we live right now or the messes that are still on our horizon and where we find ourselves in the experiences and the examples of your disciples. But you still gathered them all in spite of themselves because it wasn't about anything that they did, it was about what you were doing and what you were still doing in our lives today. So forgive us, Lord, when we make it about ourselves. When we make it about anything other than your willingness to come and to die, to spill your blood, to cover our sins, to cover us, so that we can be brought back together with you to live and to reign in peace and to experience life and life everlasting with others in the here and now. So, Lord God, I pray that you pour out your spirit of peace upon all of us who are gathered here. That we remember that peace isn't just the absence of conflict, but it is finding connectedness 
in your spirit with the people you've given us to do life with. And in pouring out that Holy Spirit, I'll also pray, Lord, that it descends upon these gifts, the loaf and the cup, that they become for us the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, that we may be your body redeemed for service and ministry in this world by your blood. And in that spirit of peace, make us one with each other and one with you and ministry to all the world until that time comes when you return in triumphant victory to deliver us home to that place where we will worship and fellowship and serve and study all on purpose forever and ever. So Lord God, we pray these things in the name of your Son and our Savior Jesus who taught us to pray the words that we know as the Lord's Prayer and the words be on the screen as we pray together saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So we've been called to remember, to remember to gather together, to share, to serve. Let's go do it. Don't forget about our online Good Friday service at noon. It'll be available on demand thereafter. Rise Up With Jesus, 2 p.m., rain or shine. An Easter celebration where we're going to really talk about that stone being rolled away. Amen? Amen. 9 and 10, 30 Sunday morning. So go with God. Go in peace. Go in love. Go to be hope. Confident hope. Compassionate hope for a world that needs it. And let's gather back here in the name of Jesus to continue serving and sharing and shining his light wherever we go. Have a great, great evening. Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area, there you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him, and we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.